You are in the ring with Hector Colon, seven-time national boxing champion turned nonprofit president and CEO. Hector knocks out the big issues facing social services today with high-impact leaders from around the U.S. In the Ring is a creation of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan and produced by No Studios. And now, here's Hector Colon. Hello, hello, hello. You asked and we delivered. Hector Colon is actually in the ring today as guest. And he is here and willing and ready to answer all of the burning questions. My name is Sharon Hootie, and I am so excited to serve as your fill-in host today. Thank you so much to M3 Insurance for sponsoring the In the Ring podcast and today's episode. All right, Hector, we're going to talk about you a little bit, okay? So let me just give you a little um, update about Hector. Hector Cologne is a seven-time national boxing champion, and also he served uh, as a former member of the USA boxing team. He also served for 13 years in government in the first part of his career under former Governor of Wisconsin Jim Doyle, Mayor Tom Barrett of Milwaukee, and he also worked side-by-side closely with Chris Abley, the former Milwaukee County Executive. In his various roles, Hector turned multi-million dollar losses into multi-million dollar surpluses. He led efforts to reform the juvenile justice system, end chronic homelessness, transform mental health care, and he eliminated a 30-year wait list for disability services. And all of this prepared you, Hector, for you to become the first non-Norwegian, non-Lutheran, non-pastor CEO of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, and that is in our 140-year history. That's incredible. Under his leadership and in the first five years of his tenure, he and the leadership team actually had a significant $18.6 million financial turnaround at LSS. Hector is a servant leader. He has a big heart, a great vision, and is a great leader and friend. All right, Hector, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go, champ. Yes, let's go, champ. I love it. So, first of all, do you love your new set? It's very nice. Thank you. It's Thank you. Awesome, it looks beautiful. Isn't it? Yes, yes, it's and very nice. Congratulations to you, season three of In the Ring with Hector Colon. Yes, and thank you for all the support and help that you've provided me to make this possible. Oh, absolutely. And it really is your vision that inspired this podcast. And it's been such a wonderful ride over these last couple of years with amazing guests and really great conversations. Yeah. So if you haven't done so already, subscribe, because you do not want to miss these conversations, especially this year, right? Yes. So I did want to start, though, before we move into round one, because you say, let's go, champ, in every single episode. You say it all the time. But tell us a little bit of a background about that. Why do you say, let's go, champ? Where did that come from? It came from my coach. Every time uh, it was fight time, it was like, let's go, champ. Uh, And you knew you had to be ready. Um, And it took a lot of prior uh, preparation to get ready. But now it's like, Okay, it's time. Let's go, champ. Yeah. I mean, and you started boxing at the age of? Nine years old. Nine years old. And so you heard that, right? Your coach, Coach Shorty. All the time. Yep. And he just put that into your head and you've become the champion that you are today. That's amazing. Awesome. 
All right. So this is fun because your audience has posed the questions for today. And we'll mention uh, some of the folks who have actually prepared questions for you today. And then there were a number of them. So we will also ask and answer those questions on the In the Ring web page, as well as on social media. So definitely follow us on social media so you can be part of the uh, conversation. I do want to ask you, what was the motivation behind this podcast? Sure. A few points I want to make there. Uh, One is I want to really be much more vocal about paying our colleagues commensurate to the value they provide, or the people they serve, and, and the broader society. And at LSS, along with the board and the executive team, we've made this a major focus. But we wanted to be louder about it and make sure we share uh, with government officials, with donors, that this was really important. And so that was uh, the number one uh, reason that we wanted to really embed in terms of um, uh, topics within the podcast. Uh, the next topic was really about making sure that policies and programs would advance quicker uh, to address the true needs of the people we serve. Oftentimes, that doesn't happen quick enough uh, for a variety of reasons. It might be resources or uh, fear of failure or um the fact that it's hard to innovate in some of these spaces. So wanted to really be uh, raise that up and make sure that uh, we can move forward and, and decide to innovate and, and be, be willing to fail so that we can succeed bigger and broader uh, for the people we serve. And the last theme was really to ensure the financial viability of our sector, which is in jeopardy. And so we have to do a lot of things to ensure that we're going to be financially viable, uh, not only next year, but the following year and for the decade uh, to come. And so there's lots of things we need to do uh, in order to be financially viable. And one of the thing, great things about the podcast is we can bring guests from all across the country, thought leaders, great people that have great experience that can impart their wisdom so that our sector can become financially viable. Absolutely. And you've had great guests from all of those parts of the sector, which is amazing. I don't know that people really grasp the fact and um, about the fact that we are the third largest industry behind retail and manufacturing. I mean, that's incredible. And so your vision for what we need to do in this sector is really important. And we need to have those conversations in order to, to act like we are the third largest industry, right? Absolutely. It's it's a very important industry. And if it wasn't for us, um, you know, sometimes they're going to rely on more government resources. Uh, healthcare goes up. Uh, criminal justice system costs goes up. And so by partnering with our sector and with organizations like us, uh, we can reduce costs and help improve health and well-being uh, in in our country, and more importantly, really improve the lives of the people we serve and give them the opportunity to thrive in society. Yeah, people like you and me, right, who have families and friends who struggle in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now let's move on to some of these audience questions, and they're good. 
All right, so Carrie was talking about unprecedented challenges in the workplace, um, you know, due to COVID, macroeconomic conditions, the socio-political environment. And, and what she mentioned is that she knows that LSS has seen a decrease, actually, in voluntary turnover. How have you and LSS been able to accomplish that? What do you attribute that to? Yeah, first of all, thank you, Carrie, who was a blessing uh, when I first started working here. Uh, she was involved in in hiring me uh, as the chief uh, human capital officer, and now she's on the board. So thank you, Carrie, uh, for the question. But, you know, I would say that uh, we've done a lot of things. Uh, first and foremost, I have an incredible leadership team uh, and board uh, that really set the example. And so, uh, so blessed to be surrounded by them. You know, the second thing I would say is our servant leadership philosophy that really um, this is an organization. Look, our mission is to act compassionately, serve humbly, and lead courageously. And I see that lived out each and every day uh, by our colleagues. And and we also co-create our vision, our direction, and our strategy. It's not a top-down approach. And when you do it that way, people feel really bought in. People feel part of this organization. People feel empowered uh, to share their thoughts and their perspectives and, and their opinions. And I think all of those things contributed to us becoming a workplace of choice. This is an organization where we're not afraid to say we love each other, um, that we want to support each other, that we want each other to succeed. Uh, we're concerned about each other's families. And uh, all of those things matter. And I think that's why we've become a workplace of choice now three years in a row. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that that personal involvement um, by individuals on the staff is so critically important. That, though, partnered with your vision about paying staff commensurate to the value they bring, it's not heard of in this industry. And yet over those past five years, really the colleagues have seen, you know, action behind those words. And that's super important. Absolutely. It's, it's been a number one focus of ours um, over the last six and a half years. And I remember six years ago, we were about $6 million away from getting our colleagues to the market. And today we're about $500,000 away. Maybe next year we'll knock it out. And and um, we'll get our, our colleagues to the market because we really, we, we believe we have a tremendous culture and second to none. And, but, you know, we've been behind on, on salary before. And so we don't want to make pay uh, an issue that contributes to somebody leaving the organization. We want to be as competitive as we can. Now, it's a challenge because we're competing with healthcare. Uh, in other industries that can pay more than we can. Uh, but I would argue that they're going to have a tremendous experience here and in a career uh, and a family. Well, and, and just two really quick points on that. Number one, when you keep colleagues at an organization like LSS, you are ensuring that there's that personal connection between 
colleague or therapist, if you will, and and the person who's receiving that service, you don't want to disrupt that care. That's super important. The other thing, though, is this really gives hope to other nonprofit organizations that are in this sector that it is possible, right, to be able to create that financial, you know, turnaround and take the steps in order to um, realize that vision of paying staff. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's the point of this podcast is to to share that good information, not only from us of what we've done at LSS, but more importantly, others across the country and learn from each other. Uh, it is possible. Uh, sometimes it's very hard. There's lots of barriers that make it difficult, uh, but with good leadership and um, this right strategy, it can be done. I love that. Awesome. All right, let's move on. So um, George actually submitted a question regarding your moving on from Health and Human Services Director in Milwaukee County to serve as president and CEO at LSS. So in your experience, how is government different and also similar to social services organizations? So maybe I'll start with how it's uh, similar. Um, one is there's always this challenge for resources. And oftentimes when government is challenged for resources, then that gets relayed to us. There's less resources for organizations like us to uh, deliver our services. Um, I would also say that because of the lack of resources, there's this fear for failure or to innovate and try new things. Uh, because politicians and you're the governor, you don't want to fail. And then you're the taxpayer, you don't want the taxpayer to get upset. And so it's it's hard um, to be put in a position where you're tr- we're trying to do something right, but you could fail. And it's one of the things that I say that we will never reach our full potential if we're not willing to fail. I believe that we have to fail along our way so that we can learn and eventually succeed, but in, a, in an extraordinary way. And so our, our sector is similar. Uh, we have donors. We have li- limited resources. And so we also, um, you know, don't want to fail. And uh, But I believe that, you know, you have to be strategic, get the right resources so that you can go out there make some mistakes, make some tweaks, and eventually do something very powerful for Mm -hmm. the people you serve. Absolutely. You know, when you're talking about government and how it's similar and dissimilar, you know, where where do you see some collaboration and innovation? In in your podcast episode with Governor Tony Evers, you were talking about, and you just mentioned it here too, about healthcare, right? And how sort of moving into the social services space. So where is there some of that innovation or collaboration that could be happening? And and take that as an example or anything else that you'd like to share. Yeah, I think uh, the collaboration between healthcare and social services uh, is starting, but it's too slow. Um, and there are many um, hospitals now and health systems that are starting to do social determinants of health and more of these social services that we have been doing, we would say that we are the experts mm-hmm. at social determinants of health. Hold on. Let's just talk about what social determinants of health is. Can you just sure. give a quick definition? 
Yeah. So those things that uh, really the the research shows that if your if your social determinants of health are taken care of, that's going to ultimately promote uh, total health and wellness. Which include what? Housing, food, uh, medical, uh, transportation, all of those things that that are necessary uh, in everybody's life. And when those things are taken care of, your health and well-being is going to be better. Absolutely. Yes. But it's a great opportunity for our sector to collaborate with healthcare and to address those uh, um, those individuals that are falling through the cracks. And so they might have insurance, for example, but they can't they don't have access to a therapist and it might take them sometimes up to I hear stories of up to a year. And if you're in a mental health crisis, you can't wait for a year to get those services. And so um, we want to work with that population and provide them with intensive case management services and show the healthcare system and the payer that we can reduce costs and improve outcomes. So it's a win-win for everyone. Uh, and more importantly, for, for that person yes. that's, that's falling through the cracks. So that's a nice innovative approach that I believe uh, government can get behind the private sector can get behind health systems and nonprofits. Uh, and some of that work is underway here at LSS. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, I think that completes round one. So good job. Thank you. I thought this was great. All right. And round two, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about the important issues that Hector will be knocking out in season two with some high impact leaders across the nation. But first, a word from our sponsor. Supporting your employees is more than a paycheck and 401k. It's just a fact. People today are at a higher risk of experiencing mental illness, housing insecurity, and substance abuse. Do you know the health of your employees, your communities? How can you step up your benefits to better address their well-being? M3 Insurance helps businesses see beyond basic benefits and support employees where they live. It's a meet-them-where-they-are approach that LSS delivers to their clients every day. M3 and LSS offer real solutions to now commonplace realities that strengthen employees and inspire communities to thrive. Test your employee benefit strategy now by going to m3ins.com. All right, are you ready for round two? I was born ready. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go, champ. Seasons one and two focused on building awareness for viewers and sector challenges, and also how high-impact leaders across the country are addressing them through innovation and partnerships, et cetera. So tell us what your focus is this year. Yeah, I want to really focus on early intervention and prevention. Okay, tell me more about that. You know, our, our system is really backwards. We wait for, like in the mental health, we wait for a crisis to happen. Oftentimes you're 17, 18 years old, and then we intervene. And oftentimes it's too late. Or we wait for that kid to penetrate the criminal justice system. First of all, it costs so much. The outcomes are bad. And, um, and we could do better. And so I want to make sure that there's more of a focus on early intervention and prevention because uh, it's hard to fund these efforts because sometimes they take a while to to realize the results. 
uh, doesn't happen in, through the election cycle. Uh, but it's the right thing to do because it gets to the kids early and gives them a chance to succeed in life. Absolutely. So what is your perfect world dream when it comes to early intervention and prevention? And you can talk about programs. You can just talk about outcomes. What, what would yeah, that be? Yeah, a couple programs. Uh, one is our school center mental health program, mm-hmm. where, again, this is really about getting to kids early and providing therapy uh, to a child uh, in the classroom setting, but then not stopping there, making sure that we have a family coach that provides services relating to the broader social determinants of health. So like I talked before, housing, food, uh, medical, transportation, making sure that all those things are taken care of for the family. You know, their own mental health needs, sometimes family members have uh, some, uh, you know, undiagnosed needs and, and providing them ser- them some services with the idea that the better they are, the better that child is going to be. And then we don't stop there. We also provide some tools and resources to the teacher who can be overwhelmed and stressed and even traumatized. And so that this this is a great program, again, where it gets the kids early uh, gives them the chance to succeed. It's very holistic as well. And so that's one example that 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 really excites me. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this too, about if you can unburden some of these stressors, right? These adult-sized stressors from those kiddos of of like you said before about, you know, housing and food insecurity. I mean, that's huge because then they can be ready to learn. They can go to school and do what kids do and play and get together with their friends. And so what is it going to take for this sector to get to that perfect world? What barriers do we need to overcome? This is where we're going to need courage um, from our politicians, uh, from governors and mayors, uh, to put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, this might not happen in my uh, during my election cycle, but it's the right thing to do, and take more of a long term view uh, to make sure that we're doing the right thing uh, today for the next ten and twenty and thirty years. That's going to ultimately yield better outcomes. It's going to be more cost effective. And it's going to be better for everyone. You bet. It's a bipartisan view and it affects us all. Absolutely. Love that. So Kevin from our audience asked, are there programs that LSS is working on or maybe that are already in place to address unmet needs, maybe things that folks don't know about already? And I know you talked about school-centered mental health. What else is going on? Yeah, Uh, There's a program called CLTS, Children's Long-Term Care Supports, where, again, it's it's with uh, kids who have developmental delays, um, and it gets to them very early with the idea that the sooner we can provide them with with services, with resources, with with help, the better they're going to be as they grow into uh, young, um, young adults and eventually adults. So that's a program that we have um, uh, a lot of services throughout Wisconsin and Upper Michigan. Another one is something we're trying to raise money for right now and is unique uh, and it's very innovative. And that's where we want to work with the state, uh, specifically child welfare, 
for those families that they know that need help, uh, maybe it's a, a, a mom who's been part of the system and now she got pregnant. We want to go there right now and serve that baby uh, and that family, that mom, while that baby is in the womb and help that mom make, make sure that she's connected with the resources, with the help so that she can be successful. And then once that baby is born, uh, we want to be there for them immediately. We're not going to wait. Uh, we're going to provide them with the right resources um, so that they can be successful, productive members of society. This is, this is the right thing to do, but it's also the smart thing to do because we need a workforce. You know, we need people that are not in the hospital, are not in the criminal justice system, and being much more proactive with this program, I think is going to help us have healthier neighborhoods, safer neighborhoods, and also a workforce that our employers need. This is very new and innovative, not just here in Wisconsin, but across the sector, right? That's, that's right. Because early intervention typically starts at what age? Like what? when do we typically see? You usually see uh, four years old, five years old. Right. Um, yes. Right. And, and so folks would come to LSS by way of referral. So you're saying who are our partners in this new program? It would be uh, Department of Children and Families. Okay. So they would identify, you know, families that could use support and then work with LSS to make that happen. Are there other programs that LSS is involved in or programs that you're aware of in the sector that are also addressing this early intervention prevention issue? Yeah, there is a very specific program. It's actually called Bertha 3 And that's where we get to these uh, kids, again, very early. Oftentimes they have developmental delays. Uh, so we provide speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, uh, all of those essential services to help them overcome their delays and, again, give them a, a chance to get educated and succeed in, in life. Now, that is a program that has been way underfunded all across the state. And so that's another uh, example where here's a program that we know works that is necessary to give so many kids an opportunity in life, uh, and yet um, it's not funded adequately. And many uh, organizations like ours have been stepping away from providing those services because they can't do it um, and be financially stable. So that is a program we continue to do and uh, want to continue to do. And we're asking our funders to help us so that we can continue to do a great job. Absolutely. You know, I was just thinking about all these different programs that you're touching on and the varied and unique needs of the people that LSS is serving. I also know that LSS has some pretty incredible outcomes in terms of satisfaction and, and things. Would you want to share that? Yeah. You know, 97% of the people served on an annual basis, around 30,000 individuals are satisfied with our services. And then 95% of them say that we have improved their quality of life. That's great. And we have a great quality team. It's a separate team, uh, independent from our program uh, and operations to make sure there are some checks and balances and also partnership uh, and a strong focus. 
to make sure that we're making a difference in the lives of the people we serve. And I think that's why we're seeing great outcomes. Uh, and we pride ourselves that that's kind of a differentiator for us. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk a lot about partners that we have, you know, through philanthropy, through government, et cetera. But our key partner is with our clients themselves. And that's what I love about the um, the vision of, of LSS, right? It's, it's healthy communities filled with people using their gifts to serve, their God-given gifts to serve, which is awesome because you are empowering people to make decisions for their lives and, and to be able to thrive and knowing that they did that. You know, we're journeying with them, um, but they are addressing their unique needs and then they are turning around and serving others, which which is incredible. And that's how we build healthy communities, right? That's right. Uh, we're like their coach, right? Yes. Everybody needs a coach. I used to have a coach. I still need a coach. Amen. And it, it's yeah. beneficial to have someone um, that you can rely on, ask questions, seek support, get some guidance. So we're, we're there for them in that way. And I think that's why, um, you know, they feel empowered to, to do their best. And everybody has greatness within them. It's our jobs to, to find out what that is, bring that out in them, and help them um, pursue that. And that's what's going to give them purpose and meaning in life. I love that. That is a great way to close round two. Thank you. All right. So in the next round, we're actually going to do something different and fun. We're going to see how Hector bobs and weaves and rolls with the punches. All right. All right. Are you ready for round three? Come on, man. Of course, this is the last <laughs> round. This is the championship <laughs> round. Oh, yes. That's right. Okay. Let's go, champ. Let's see if you still have it. So Tara wants to know, as a leader, how do you prioritize and maintain a company culture that aligns with your values and goals? Yeah. Well, I think first is finding an organization that aligns and did a lot of research uh, about LSS before I joined. And it's truly an incredible organization, again, with a 140-year history of servant leadership, of making a, a big difference in the lives of people they serve, uh, of love, of compassion. And so it was easy to come to the organization that really aligned uh, with my personal values. And the way we continue that, working together in this organization, is to really co-create our vision, our direction, and our strategy. And we're doing that together. This is, um, I'm not a top-down type of leader. I like to, we co-created a new vision, a new mission, uh, our new strategy uh, together. And that way people feel um, empowered. They feel that they're making contributions and they're making a difference uh, in not only the lives of the people we serve, but the broader organization that is going to be around for a long time. Yeah. And, and the alignment that I see personally is, you know, you as servant leader and bringing that to the culture of LSS, listening, empathy, you know, building each other up, building community, wanting the best for each other. I mean, there is no better organization to work in than, than one that has that culture. So thank you. Thank you. Yes. 
This is a great question. I love this one. So Melanie wants to know, how does your faith guide your day-to-day decision-making? Yeah, well, it's a key part of my calling, actually my work. Um, And so I view my work as a way to make myself better person. Uh, I also view work, um, I really approach it to try to make it better. Uh, and then I also want to make sure that through my work, I can make others better, uh, be it um, our colleagues here or ultimately the people we serve. And so that is literally my personal calling in life is to use that work to to make myself and others better. LSS is a perfect place uh, to do that. And I feel blessed to be here. Well, the follow-up question from Melanie is, if you've had any unique experiences or challenges being a Catholic leading a Lutheran social services organization. Sure. Yeah, a lot of people think that's really funny that a Catholic is leading one of the largest LSS organizations really in the Midwest. And so first of all, I want to say I feel so humbled and honored uh, to be given this opportunity. Um, I'm the first in 140 years. And, you know, that's a big step. Um it shouldn't matter um, if I'm Catholic and you're Lutheran or you're Muslim or you're Jew. You know, we can work together. You know, I can work in your organization. You can work in my organization. Because, look, at the end of the day, we're serving people. And you don't have to be Lutheran to either work here or, or be served here. Uh, this is human services, and we're serving others. Susan asks, what brings you the most joy working at LSS and in the social services sector? The most joy is, um, I'd say, when our colleagues say that this is a workplace of choice. That brings me so much joy because if it wasn't for our colleagues, uh, we wouldn't be able to do all we do. We wouldn't have an organization. We wouldn't have our outcomes. And so, honestly, that brings me the most joy because I know they're happy. Uh, I know that they feel um, they're a part of a good organization that cares about them. And that means a lot to me. It just shows your visionary leadership. From the start of this interview, that's exactly what you started with in terms of why this podcast was important and what you wanted to do at LSS and also to share with the sector, and you just shared it again now. It's really the the happiness of the colleagues because then they turn around and can better serve um, our clients as well. So this year, um, Hector will be asking all of his guests one final question. What is your game plan for spreading the word about our sector and the needs we discussed today? Yeah, you know, I want to be out there um, on the speaking circuit more. I just wrote an article uh, relating to our transformational turnaround and all that we have achieved here at LSS. So just getting out on the road, you know, and speaking more uh, about our sector, our specific organization and the people we serve. You know, I'm thinking about writing another book um, specifically relating to the nonprofit sector and our, our turnaround and some lessons learned and some good insights that others might be um, that could help others in their transformation and their turnarounds. Uh, so those are those are a couple things. 
and and continue to talk more uh, to our colleagues uh, about how they're feeling and and um, their ideas, so I can elevate those ideas on this podcast and and through other forums. That's great. Great. Thank you so much. I think you knocked it out today, Hector. Thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure to be with you. Oh, Thank you, you so much awesome. for doing this. Absolutely. Well, do you think we knocked it out? Yes. Yeah. Yes, all right. Definitely. All right. Good. Yeah. So one final thing, and I just wanted to um, thank our LSS production team too for dressing this new set, you know, here at No Studios in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, but we wanted to also as a little fun surprise, um, for your third season, we wanted to get you a gift. Yes, you're welcome. So just tear it open. Yep, absolutely. Yes, Hector is going to have our first official in the ring merch. <laughs> That's pretty cool, isn't it? And of course it says, let's go champ. Thank you for all that you do. You're an inspiration. And this is just such a labor of love. And, um, you know, there are so many great conversations that you've already had and that you're planning to have this season. So, you know, let's just keep going, champ, because you're making a difference. Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hector will be back in the driver's seat next month, exactly where he belongs. Subscribe now on YouTube so you don't miss any of Hector's high-impact interviews. Learn more about our guests and the show at lsswis.org slash in the ring. Thank you again to our sponsor, M3 Insurance. Okay, Hector, can you take us out? Con mucho cariño, with much affection. Bye. Bye.